0: Wonderful. Thank you, Maddie, for that reading of this morning's text. And that text is being recited around the world in Christian churches as the Church of Jesus Christ celebrates the ascension of Jesus Christ. And it totally makes sense in the rhythm of what we have been going through, even in our own church and congregation, beginning with Lent, the story of Jesus' life on earth, his passion the resurrection, of course, and now his ascension. I want to begin by just sharing an idea that I received from one of my seminary profs years and years ago. And he basically said that when you're uncertain and disoriented to the challenges that life may bring, we must go back to what he called the top of the theological mountain the top of the theological mountain. What he was referring to there is often in the scriptures, mountains are metaphors for the dwelling place of God. But even beyond that, it's the dwelling and the understanding of God that is beyond our own understanding. Because in our finite minds, we cannot fully comprehend God. But on the mountaintop, we hear about the God that has revealed His power and His love to us through the Scriptures. There are many texts, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, about this, but here's one from Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. And so the theological understanding of God on the top of the mountain, is his transcendence. The fact that he transcends this world. He is separate from and not bound by his own creation. God is the uncreated one. He is just. He is true. He is wise. He is beyond the time and space constraints that we find ourselves in as humans. But as we tell the entire story of the gospel, God is not aloof. His salvation plan for what he created flows from the mountaintop. We need a Jesus who has done something about the sin, its effects, and ultimately death that is in our world. If Jesus was just someone to hold our hand and comfort us, he would be unable to do anything about the cause of our pain, our sin, and our despair. So this morning, we're actually looking at the final message in our post-resurrection series that we began on Easter, our final encounter with Jesus after his resurrection. And so today... We look at the ascension of Jesus, his earthly farewell to his disciples. Well, here's a question. When you think and picture Jesus' ascension, what do you envision? Well, here's an image that's a popular painting of a popular idea, and that is almost what I call the superhero version of Jesus. It's a cool thing that Jesus could fly and just teleport up from his disciples, and this is a favorite image of artists. But what does it mean beyond the cool factor? If we just look at the teleporting Jesus, we can miss the relevance of the ascension for our daily lives. Now, many of us Have memorized what's called the Apostles' Creed, the most ancient gathering of the core essential theological truths of the gospel. And this is a big part of the creed. If you know it, recite along with me a portion from the middle. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And that's the portion that often we skip over. He ascended, and then we move on. But notice the importance in the creed of being seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The idea of the right hand is throughout the Bible, because in a monarchy, the person with the most authority next to the king or queen, was usually at their right hand. And so this image of Jesus returning to the right hand of God the Father would have had tremendous meaning. The same power that Jesus gave up originally to come to this planet now has been fully restored in the Godhead. Well, let's look at our text for today, beginning in verse 9, chapter 1 of the book of Acts. After Jesus said this, he was taken up from their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And so here we kind of can close the book on what's called Jesus' first advent. It's what we started with back in December when I was privileged to come here as an interim pastor. I was so glad I got to begin as we told the story through advent of Jesus' first coming to this planet. And so now we close the book on that. And so this completes Jesus' earthly ministry. But I want you to hear this quote from C.S. Lewis. Again, Lewis putting the first advent into the understanding of this theological mountaintop. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend, He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still if embryologists are right, to recapitulate in the womb, rather, ancient and pre-human phases of life, down to the very roots and seabed of the very nature he has created. And here's the kicker. But he goes down to come up again and to bring the whole ruined world back up with him. And so this is one of the glorious truths of our gospel. The ascension completes Christ's victory that began with his resurrection. It seals the final victory in God's triumph and the defeat over the power of sin in his creation. And that is sin in we as humans, It's sin in the human systems. It's sin that shows itself through sickness and death. And in fact, the devil himself. Well, let's look at verses 10 and 11. As the disciples were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So now we have the affirmation of two angels who declare the guaranteed fact that Jesus will come back again. The first advent was Jesus' triumph and victory over sin. In his second advent... He will set all things right again. At Jesus' second coming, what theologians call natural evil will be done away with. And natural evil includes floods and earthquakes, tsunamis and famine, tornadoes, disease, and yes, viruses. Now, at this point, I have a confession to make. Over the past three months, I have likely watched and read more in the news feed than I ever have in my life. Initially, I needed to learn about this mysterious virus and its health impact on me and my family and those I love. And then I shifted to needing more info on what the national and state governments were doing to combat this. Then I needed to know what the rules and restrictions to daily life would be as one of your pastors and considering the impact on our church family. But a few weeks ago, I realized that this desire to learn on all facets about this situation we're in, for me, it turned into binging on the news, often throughout the day, when really nothing else was happening that was new, kind of looking like an accident on the freeway where you just cannot turn your eyes. So here's a question for all of us. After engaging with the news multiple times in this way each day, was I less anxious about my life or more anxious about the future? I would have to say that each of those Times to the newsfeed ramped up the anxiety meter for me. Well, here's some further bad news. As we continue to hear about the ravages of the pandemic, we now know that there is an economic disaster that's going on we haven't seen since the Depression. And now we're starting to hear about the likely summer forest fires in the Northwest, that climate change is always lurking in the newsfeed. Oh, and a reminder about what I call the Great American Circus, otherwise known as our presidential election. That is going to put our anxiety at an all-time high over the next five months. Okay, take a deep breath. I have totally freaked out, everybody. Let's hear some good news. And I want to turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. A very short passage, but I want to look at how the Apostle Paul applies the ascension to the times in which he was living. One of the beautiful things about the New Testament letters, what we call these epistles, is we have what I call commentary in time. The Apostles trying to take what they understood from the resurrection Jesus' ascension and being exalted to the right hand of God the Father and then being filled with the Holy Spirit. And they are commentators on how to apply that in the times in which they live. So let's see how Paul did that in Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The Apostle Paul understood the thing that we recite in the creed, that the reality is Jesus rose and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, where he reigns over the entirety of this cosmos. And so, if we indeed are raised with Christ, which is hard enough to get our minds wrapped around that. But if that is indeed true, then the core of our life has radically changed. The resurrection, the ascension, the seating at the right hand of God were a seamless reality for Jesus. And now, that seamless reality is available to every person who claims the name of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. In light of the glorious nature of what Paul has just recited, set your mind then on things above and not on earthly things. Don't view your life from our limited, transitory perspective on earth. View earthly things from heaven, backwards, if you will. Again, the perspective from the mountaintop that I described earlier. We've said farewell to an old order of things. And we are already living with an eternal perspective, according to the apostle. We're not waiting for that. That's a reality now, because in one sense, we have a foot in eternity already. And then verses 3 and 4, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ, In God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When I read that simple passage, I feel like falling on my knees. These things are too wonderful for me, to quote the apostle. How can I fully understand That I am safely protected and nurtured in the very bosom of the Godhead. With Christ, in God, being enfolded in the very Trinity. And then Paul has added here his understanding of the second advent when Christ appears. Later in Titus, he'll use the phrase, This is. Is our blessed hope this coming uh, promise just as the two angels said to the disciples at the very beginning of Jesus' ascension? So here's the reality check for me and hopefully for us this morning. What good is it to believe that Jesus is at God's right hand when my life and the world is currently a mess. And more troubling, the newsfeed is telling us that the future of civilization is bleak. That's exactly my point this morning. Why we need to go back to the theological mountaintop. Early in this pandemic, like many of my Christian friends, we immediately said, I'm so thankful God is in control. And then after giving that trite Christian cliche sometimes, we immediately freaked out and began to complain about our own individual situation. That's my story. So I went back to the greatest influence in my life, again, C.S. Lewis, outside of the scriptures. And here's a quote that I've found great hope in over the years. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some people think, a form of escape or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. And let me say here, over my years as a follower of Jesus, I honestly can't think of one person who was so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. I look at myself and I look at Western Christianity, I believe the problem with today's Western church is we are so earthly-minded There were no heavenly good. And I hope you can see the perspective that we need to recapture in looking at our circumstances in light of the truth of the ascension and where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. So here's my question for us this morning. What is the gauge of your hope in the coming weeks and months? We've all thought about this. What are those markers that you're looking for that will give you some semblance of moving back, hopefully, into some of the rhythms of life? Can we be honest this morning? Is your hope in medical science developing an effective vaccine? Is your gauge the stock market and your financial portfolio rebounding? Is your gauge government protection policies and financial bailouts? Now, please hear me. I thank God that we are living in an age of tremendous medical advance. I'm thankful for all of our leaders and all those who are doing their best to lead us through this pandemic. But I have to say, Medical experts will fail us. Economic and business leaders will fail us. Our elected leaders will fail us. Why do I know that? Because I fail myself. I don't even live up to the standards that I have for myself. And so what do we do with all that? I can't even save those I love. I can't even save myself. And that's what always brings me back. I need a savior. So my invitation this morning is to come with me to the mountain where Jesus dwells at God's right hand, where evil and sin, everything that destroys the life that we love, cannot exist in God's presence. Even this virus that has robbed thousands of their lives, cannot exist and in fact is obliterated in the presence of God. In God's presence, ultimately, there is only complete shalom, the absolute flourishing of all that God created in this world and all that he wants for everyone that would call his name. And so this morning, as we close this series of encounters with Jesus, you might be at a place where you've been listening intently, but you still have not decided that that's something worth doing on your part. This morning, I encourage you to consider that more deeply. Take a walk. Take time by yourself. Review the sermons, review the scriptures and the Gospels and the encounters that Jesus had with his disciples after his resurrection, and most of all, reflect on the passage of this morning. This may be a time that you want to accept Jesus again. I have no problem telling you that I have done this countless times through my life. Every time I come to a place of being at the end of my own strength and my own ideas and what I think is best for me, I accept Jesus again, and if you're in that place, then I invite you to join me as well. Would you join me now in a closing word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you that on the third day you rose again from the dead. You were raised into heaven where you are now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We hold on to that truth as strong as anything in our faith. And we pray that from that perspective we can look back on all the challenges that we are facing in our individual lives and be able to see a little bit better glimpse of how you view us at this time. I do pray, Lord Jesus, that you will be with every person who is out of work, who is dealing with illness, who is dealing with the loss of loved ones, and especially those who are uncertain about tomorrow to the point of despair. Holy Spirit, come and minister to us today. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ who does indeed reign with the Father in heaven. Amen.